Welcome to Sundial on WLRN. I'm Wilkin Brutus. Carlos Frias is out today. Design has always been at the center of David Castro's life. David grew up in West Palm Beach and studied architecture in college. But while he was learning to design buildings, he was also designing streetwear. His tight college budget made him get creative, and he started making his own dope apparel. That side hustle eventually became a full-time gig, even after graduating from Florida A&M University and working as an architect. David eventually founded Dungeon Forward. It's a hat company based in South Florida. It's common to see a professional athlete wearing Dungeon Forward or a college student rocking it around campus. They've partnered with major companies from Paramount to dozens of historically black colleges and universities around the country. David refers to his hats as crowns and his crowns tell a story. The bright designs are inspired by African aesthetics, hip hop and pop culture. He says he makes his crowns for the culture. To talk to us about what that means and growing up in South Florida is David Castro. David, what's good? What's good? Hey, what's good, my man? We both got our crowns on right now. Yeah, yeah, you got to. You got to. <laughs> do you remember this crown? I, I do, I, I my, do. I got on my head right Galaxy. now? <laughs> yeah, I definitely remember that. It's it's it sold out. Uh, I don't know what happened, actually, because when we dropped it, it actually was not a hit immediately. And then we did like this marketing campaign. And over a period of time, it just dissipated. Man, and I think you were one of the first people to actually grab one. So I had to. Yeah, yeah. You've always to. been you always been partial to the to the darker colors. Yeah, I yeah. don't know what it is. Now yeah. I've been like adding a lot more colors to my repertoire. Now I feel you it. Know, I, I need more earth tone colors to hey, match my personality. Earth tone, you that's know? <laughs> so, David, I, I met you during our orientation for the Engineering Academy at Forest Hill High School. Yeah, day in one. West Palm Beach. Day, day one. one in yeah. the cafeteria where people used to free style make beats on the table <laughs> people we we <laughs> <laughs> and that was more than two decades ago yeah yeah that's can you believe don't, it don't date me man yes yeah, <laughs> i believe it though i believe it because when i think about like what's happened since then even thinking about yourself and your travels and like how you've navigated your career like it's it's been a lot right. it's been a lot yeah for sure now Ever since we left the Engineering Academy, a lot of folks either either left the Academy or mm -hmm. decided to really take their career even further. For mm -hmm. you, you actually became an architect. Um, and before that, you actually went ahead and pivoted to creating hats and designing hats. Right. Um, and that sounds like an interesting connection between architectural design yeah. and art yeah. and fashion but it's like an unlikely connection like you wouldn't think of architecture and art as having like the sort of symbiotic relationship yeah. um was that pivot for you seamless yeah it was seamless and, and what's crazy is like as as many people wouldn't think about that it, it exists like time after time like in the, in the space of creativity so tinker hatfield who worked with uh a Nike to design like almost all of the Jordans. He started at uh, University of Oregon as an architecture student and uh, is, is an architect by trade. Uh, Virgil Abloh, uh, who passed away, uh, who is design director for Louis Vuitton and then also started Off-White. He, he also, all, he for, also for went Kanye to school. As he, well, right? he worked for Kanye. He was, uh, I think he was design director for Yeezy. Um, but he was also, uh, he also was in school for architecture as well. So there's this like true symbiotic relationship between design like form and function as it pertains to building and people experiencing space and then people experiencing clothing right and for me i just was really attracted to streetwear and i i think the reason that i was also attracted to the idea of creating clothing fashion in general is because when you design a building 
is for a period of time, right? You design a building, it takes a very long time for it to actually go from start to finish, and then it, it's to last for 50 years and beyond. But when you're designing fashion, the idea is for people to use that to create the day, to create their now, which is something that I really like because it's like co consistently influencing somebody on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, there's something that caught my attention just now. You talked about creating streetwear early yeah. on. Mm -hmm. um, describe that experience, uh, trying to, you know, um, I, I guess, segue from architecture to doing streetwear. Were you doing it at the same time during your college yeah. years? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we actually started uh, because I, I didn't have any money in college, <laughs> right? So I, did, I, I wanted to be fly, didn't have any cash to really go buy things. So I did a lot of window shopping, but... At the time, I had the only thing that I really had was all of my architectural supplies. So we had a lot of paint, a lot of like different things that we could decorate something with. And it was me and one of my, my other friends whose name is also David, David Wallace, that decided like, let's make our own clothes. So we actually would purchase T-shirts. I think it was like five for 20 um, that you would get from any footlocker, foot, foot action, any, any store, honestly. You could even get them at the gas station. And we would take those and then we would embellish them with the supplies that we already have for school. And it was really just for us. It was really just so we had something that we were proud of, proud to wear. But then after that, people started taking a liking to that. And so that became kind of this organic business on its own, um, which over time then transitioned into us focusing on creating mass produced apparel, which then was a pivot into headwear once I discovered that I was really more into the tectonics of fashion rather than just creating like the graphic design and the artwork. Uh, I mean, there's a particular kind of passion that you need to have in order to become an architect. I mean, yeah. that's like years of studying. Yeah. Um, would you say this sort of pivot into fashion, mm -hmm. was that a calling of sorts or was that something that you just sort of, you were doing uh, <laughs> streetwear, but was right. it something that you stumbled into? Man, so when I think about it, like I, so sometimes a calling is something that's like very obvious, right? Like you, you're, you're obsessing over it and it's, and it's something that you, you got to live within no matter what, like you can't breathe without it. And for me, it was more like an itch, right? That I couldn't, I couldn't get off of me, right? Because at the very beginning, I was just throwing money at, at ideas. Like I really didn't have any full concept of how I was going to build a brand um, whether or not the name was going to be Dungeon Forward, like that came to me almost in an epiphany moment. And, and then even like what, it, what we would represent, like I had no idea I was just creating, right? And which I, I, I really, looking back at that, I really loved that time because it was really free. Um, but as I continued in my career, for whatever reason, I couldn't get away from throwing money at creating this, this, this other thing, like digging into fashion and, and creating something that people could experience. And after a while, I just surrendered to that. I surrendered to it and I said, you know what? I'm trying to run away from something that just keeps pulling me back. And so if I surrender to it, what can it actually be? And after a certain point, it became my, my job, my career, from both a financial perspective and both like my mental capacity became a distraction. Like I, I looked at it like my investor, that's how we kind of seeded funds into to developing a brand. And then once I got to a point where I felt like, okay, this is something that's packaged that I could really bring out to the world that they could really support and understand, 
then I knew it was time to take flight and to, and to leave that corporate space to really like dig into something that was, was mine that could potentially be a legacy thing for my children. And, and that's a brave move yeah. to like leave that corporate atmosphere <laughs> and say, you know what, I'm going to die right in. Yeah. I'm going to surrender. Right. Mm -hmm. um, tell me about Dungeon Forward. It's one thing to know that, OK, I have this grand idea. Right. I, I, I want it to <clears throat> I want it to materialize, but I also have to name it. And yeah. that has to be at least one of the hardest processes out there. So what does the name mean, Dungeon Forward? So I, first, before I even go there, I talk about the process because there was no process to name it Dungeon Forward. It was something that really just came to me. And I'm I, sometimes I feel like I'm so blessed with that type of like um, instinctual, instinctual power, <laughs> like where it's almost like you're tapping into a resource that's intangible hmm. and, it, and it just comes it just comes to you. And so. I remember at the time hearing like the term fashion forward, fashion forward, fashion forward, fashion forward. And it was like, what does that actually mean? Like, what are people talking about? And it's like people who are futurists that were thinking about things that could potentially be a trend down the line. And I knew that that was a space that I wanted to sit in. But fashion forward to me was also like, kind of like uh, more conservative in what it was talking about. And what I, what I wanted to represent was more grit, like the street. And uh, when I thought about the street and I thought about I thought about the places in which I would I would design in, it was always in these spaces that were a lot more humble than where you would where you would think of seeing things that were quote unquote fashion forward. And so for me that was the dungeon, right? Over time, taking those terms, dungeon, fashion forward, combining those together, dungeon forward, over time that took on a different meaning, which was from nothing to something. Like my life story in two words. And you know this, both of us don't come from from much, right? From meager means, single parent households. And so for me, it was the idea of inspiring people to take whatever it is that they were birthed with and take that to move with some level of momentum from that dungeon forward onto something else. And so that's been the driving force behind why we create crowns for the culture, why we wanna consistently remind people that are of the culture that they're royal more so than the people that are looking at them and taking ideas from them. And then stay with that, crowns uh -huh. for the culture. Crowns, yeah. Yeah, crowns is typically the tagline that I often hear whenever I think of Dungeon Forward. It's yeah. almost like attached to the brand itself. You yeah. almost can't mention Dungeon Forward without that tagline, crowns yeah. for the culture. Um, how did that come to be? And is is crowns also a tangible aspect of a hat itself? Is like, Does it work mm -hmm. as like a double entendre? Yeah, I mean, I think to, to say that it's like, immensely original to call a, hat, a crown would be a lie right but for us it's just the it's the intrinsic meaning of what it is to wear a crown right oftentimes the people that are in our target market might not see themselves as royal and so that's why we dig deep in in consistently saying it so that when you put one of our crowns on you you feel that like you feel a level of importance you feel a level of like like meaning like a, a reason for your existence like, and, and by us you mean the multi-ethnic black community by us i mean yes the multi-ethnic black community and what we call the culture and so when i think about the culture i mean the people that drive the world forward the people that are creative out of necessity right not the folks that are you know reaching into the community to find inspiration like this is where inspiration is rooted because it's needed Right. When you don't have funds to kind of distract yourself, you find means to do it in other ways. And those ways typically are very innovative. And so that's where like, I found a love for both street culture, from art, from music, 
because of from whence it comes, like where it comes from, right? It's it's a pure root. And so our crowns are for that root. It's, it's for those people. It's fascinating you say that because uh, that's typically the saying that great art comes from specific moments of despair. Mm -hmm. um, hip hop has that sort of foundation as well. Mm -hmm. um, when you don't have enough, it f almost forces you to be innovative. And, yeah. um, and it, I mean, you're a trained architect, so not only did you come from that environment, yeah. you're also trained yeah. to even to, to finesse that a, a little bit more. Um, when, when did you realize that your hat started taken a life of its own uh, that, that that moment that you sort of made a dent in this fast moving culture man I, you know it's it's an everyday thing like i i don't sometimes i have to sit back right so for, for instance for this interview you asked me hey last time we talked you you launched a project with paramount um and, and spongebob you said what's happened since then and when you asked that my immediate thought was man what has happened since then i'm not really sure and then so i sat down with my marketing director at zoo and we started talking about some of the things that happened and i really had to sit there in appreciation of all of that because when it when you're in it like and you have tunnel vision you don't really get the opportunity to see all the fruits of your labor right because you're in it like you this is the goal so constantly you're constantly trying to move towards some level of growth and, and permeating a culture with 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 your thought process and your design um, aesthetic but what it's meant to me now to see like for instance i was going to la and i'm in the airport and i see somebody random wearing a dungeon fort Ooh, how did that, right? feel? that any moment in which that happens it feels unreal because now i'm thinking of okay how did you find us what path did it take when it was shipped to you to get to you like how many places has this crown been now as a result of you like those types of things are like wow this actually influenced somebody's decision this morning you chose to put that on this morning and that's amazing to me and like i i really enjoy seeing people engage and especially when we create things that are very thoughtful that have intrinsic meaning in both the graphics and just the overall composition of the design because then it's conversational then people see something and it caught it might cause uh, a new relationship to be formed and that's happened before with people we've collaborated with where they it literally has formed love connections through design and so seeing all of these different nodes that happen just from something that started as a, a as an idea has been really fruitful for me it's almost like an intrinsic uh, collaborative relationship between you and the folks who are wearing uh, the hats um, and that collaboration comes to head when you see them in public. <laughs> when you see, yeah, them, it's, yeah. it's like, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. And to, it, to, I think to that's experience. that's the last kind of loop of collaboration, right? Because you're consistently collaborating with the culture in which you're creating for, right? Right? Because we're of the culture. Like my team is of the culture. Most of the people on my team make music, and we're all like creatives mm -hmm. and so we're inspired by very different things but as a unit like we're able to create things that speak to a multitude of people and then once the once people experience it that's kind of like the, the closing of the loop right and right. that's the that's the beauty when you get to see it because i don't often get to see it because i'm not outside like that uh david i want to say i am extremely jealous of the fact that you attended an HBCU. I just want to go ahead and say that. You should, <laughs> <laughs> you should be. You should be. 
<laughs> I mean, we were in Tallahassee at the same time at yeah. one point, and yeah. I, I just remember attending some of the the events at FAMU at Florida A&M University, and mm-hmm. uh, I think our producers have a little bit of sound. Can we play something real quick? When the dark clouds gather on the horizon, you must always remember that the Rattlers will strike and strike and strike again. Yeah. And strike again. How does that make you feel? And tell me what that strike, strike, strike uh, part of that piece is about. Yeah, so that is, um, so we had a, a president, Dr. Humphreys, who coined that. And it is something that is said during games that is like a, it's almost, it almost has become almost like a fight chant. And it's and it's uh, it just gets everybody riled up before the game, and uh, but it takes me back obviously to to the time that I was on campus. And what's crazy is I didn't really get to experience a lot of what I get to experience now while I was on campus because I was stuck in the architecture building. Um, but like me going to FAM, uh, all of that was luck. Like it was it was my my circumstance really. What do you Drove mean by me luck? I tell you. So <laughs> I, I didn't, nobody in my family, at least that was surrounding me, that had, had had been to college, right? And so my understanding of what it took to go to college wasn't really all the way there. I thought it was similar to going to regular primary school, and that obviously wasn't the case. I thought that you finish high school and you just show up and you register and then you, you continue, right? Obviously everybody that's listening knows that's not what happens, right? And at least for us, we were filling out physical applications. And so we had a, a guidance counselor, I believe his name was Mr. Williams, that was in that was at, at uh, uh, Forest Hill that um, I just happened to have, you know, when you take all your classes and you got like one class off when you're a senior and you just roam the hallways, I would go and I would holler at him. And so he would just ask me questions. Did you apply for school? Did you take the SAT? Did you do this? And my answer would always be no. Do I got to do that? And he pointed me in the right direction. Him having gone to FAM and me having been exposed to FAM through joining the band randomly my senior year and also like connecting with my brother who went to Florida State and going to visit him and seeing the school. I knew it was something that I would I would potentially be interested in. And so it became one of the like four full, four schools that I even knew about. And so post that, um, he helped me submit the application, all that stuff, and you, you get admitted. And I get to this campus, and this campus is full of people that look like me. And, and it's full of people from different backgrounds that look like me, people that had the Cosby upbringing, people that were raised in the hood, people that were raised in different countries, like from the Caribbean, from Japan. like, And it was mind-blowing to me because I only really have one frame of reference of black people. Hmm. And, and so it, it gave me an understanding of the diversity among us, right, which was already, like, empowering in, in the first place. And so then my, my full experience at FAMU definitely informed who I am as a man and it informed, like, my confidence in myself. And so, like, after going there and really, like, established myself and really developing a kind of this, like, family relationship at FAMU, we say FAMULI, um, oh, I didn't know that. Family, yeah, nice. family, and uh, and and it's because of like our interaction with the the campus is not is probably not very similar to most schools, right? Like your interaction with your professors is like they care, like they become family members almost, and so transitioning to like creating something to pay homage for it just made sense. Like this is a a major component of who I am. It's a major part of what what brought me to the space that makes me capable 
like why not give back in some form and so we started out uh, without licensing doing things that were inspired and then using that to support scholarships that we were giving to the design school and we would host the design charrette at the architecture building and give students their money on the spot and that was already like a differentiator in which I really loved and then from that it was how can we expand this to to other HBCUs? Well, well, well first, tell me how yeah. how did you how did Dungeon Forward your company secure yeah. a relationship with this institution? Like, did it was it an organic thing, or was that always part of Dungeon Forward's plan? No, 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 no. It was definitely organic. Like, it wasn't it wasn't a part of the plan. It wasn't something that I really had considered. And actually, like, I had a uh, a friend of mine. Her name is uh, Gabrielle Albert, who who mentioned to me like hey you should do something for fam and she planted that bug in my ear and uh and and so it probably took me about two years after she planted that bug in my ear to actually do something and so i i I did something it was received well and at the time we didn't have a relationship with the school it was just something that was kind of like inspired by we didn't use any official logos or anything but it was in the same color and it was of the culture right so what we said on it you're familiar with if you went there it was like if you know you know uh but Beyond that, I was like, okay, well, I want to create something that's like official, official. And so we researched how you do that. And there's an organization called CLC. You establish a relationship with them. They have a relationship with the school and you have to apply. The process is pretty extensive. Mm-hmm. And then over a period of time, they'll let you know if you're approved. And then once you create designs, you get those designs pr- approved by the institution. And then you're able to actually create things that are with official emblems. And, and so it's it's approved by the institution, but yeah. is there like... I don't know, like a room of five people who make that decision. <laughs> uh, I, I th- so with each school is different, right? For for most schools, it's like their communications department. In some schools, they actually have somebody that's specifically over like consumer products. It really it really ranges. It's it's very very different at FAMU. There's uh they they have uh, the Office of University Advancement, and there's a person who sits in that office that's a part of communications. That's kind of like in a hybrid role. That is it manages the manages that relationship with CLC. I find. I find this partnership mm-hmm. so interesting because you would think that a university has to like really vet a company, yeah. right? And obviously they vetted you a lot. They yeah. saw your momentum mm-hmm. and they felt comfortable to create this long-term partnership with Dungeon Forward. Yeah. How, how did that make you feel that these institutions are actually like, you uh, know what, yeah. We, yeah, we rock with you. Yeah. Uh, how does that make you feel? And did you even expect uh, that type of support from institutions of all places? It was crazy. I never really thought about it in that way until you just said it in that way. Um, yeah, that's major. That's major. You know, I, I, I think there is like when you when you're an entrepreneur and you're building a company, I think you have to have a certain level of like ignorance about like what your capabilities are because you're reaching for things that you've never done before and so like i think in my own ignorance i was like why wouldn't they let us do this you know like look at what we've done it's real cool it's dope right you need that healthy delusion right yeah yeah, yeah. a little bit of healthy delusion to really uh, attack things that that the average person would see all the problems with and so you know hearing you say that now and, and realizing that we've now developed over 40 relationships i think we're at 41 now with uh, 41 different HBCUs. We're coming up on a renewal with with all of those schools in October. It's major. Like that, that, I, I, that there's no like casting a shadow on it. It's an, it's an amazing thing. And I, I, and I love that we're able to share our perspective with those schools while also giving back 
through their their licensing program. And, and I think they've noticed that there is a symbiotic relationship that this isn't some company that's extracting from our students. No, nah, we're the coach. Our... Yeah, we are that. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, we are that. Uh, did, did it also help that you were a, a FAMU alum that you essentially spoke the same language? Yeah, so because you because you talk about culture mm-hmm. and oftentimes people say oh we're doing this for the culture mm-hmm, but, but they don't know the culture they don't know the culture yeah. and so what does that mean when david castro says we're doing it from the culture are, are, are you sort of saying i speak the same language and i also am highly aware of all of the socio-political and socio-economic things mm-hmm. that make creativity difficult for a lot of folks mm-hmm. like it's it's like a multi-layered approach when you hear the word culture right yeah so I, I I start out by saying I'm not perfect, right? No, no, in no way, shape, or form am I am I perfect. There's been things that I've done, designed decisions that I've made, where it, even after receiving the product, I'm like, man, why did I do this, right? And uh, and it, and it it would be because at, at the onset of an idea, it maybe seemed like it was dope, um, but a, as it pertains to the projects and the approach to the projects and the ability to say that it's for the culture of of the co- or of the culture, in many instances, it's just what I was raised on and what I've been through. But as it pertains to HBCUs, I went to one HBCU. I didn't go to 40. I didn't go to 41. And so what that means is you have to become immersed in their culture and and begin to love it as much as somebody who did go to those institutions, even with your own biases. That That's very interesting you yeah. say that. So each individual HBCU culture, a yeah. Morehouse is different from- Very different. You know, a Howard, for example. At, at Morehouse specifically, right? They have, a, they have this- uh, uh, it's tradition when the when the new students come in, and they, and they have it's it's kind of a I don't even know what, I don't even know what they call it specifically, but they they sing the song I got a feeling I got a feeling brother, and it's somebody's trying to sneak in my house more house right, and it's all the freshmen that are going down this hallway, and it's it's unique to Morehouse, right? Morehouse is the house. Morehouse doesn't have as much of a relationship with their mascot as other schools have with their mascot. But you can't know these things without being vested, mm. like without being immersed in the in the culture, you know? Earlier in the segment, I talked about how you and I met several decades ago, I'm not gonna age us right now, yeah. uh, during orientation uh, for the Engineering Academy. And uh, we used to, you know, freestyle, make beats on the table. Yeah. Um, this year is the 50th anniversary of hip hop, mm-hmm. DJing. MCing, breakdancing, graffiti, beatboxing, yeah. all of the elements of hip hop, knowledge. How big of a role does hip hop culture play in your life? I it's vested in my life. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a recording artist uh, myself under the, under the name Earth Tone. Uh, I plan on launching a project this year at the, be- at the end of the year. Uh, it's crazy because I didn't realize, I didn't really think about the fact that it was happening in the 50th year of hip hop, which is dope. Uh, my, my colleague, uh, King Hoodie Raps is in the studio with me. Uh, he just launched a project and a and an EP and a and a song named Glass. Right, I'm surrounded by it all the time. Right, it's it's something that uh, it 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 is a part of my daily experience. Right, what I listen to on a day to day basis, and I think I navigate design in a, in a in a in a similar way when it when it comes to like rhythm. Um, we actually were approached by an organization earlier um, this year to participate in like a licensed deal for the 50th um anniversary of hip-hop and then we were we were getting ready to sign that contract and then we thought nobody can own this mm. like 
how can we sign a contract for the 50th year of, of hip hop and there's there's not a single entity that can own it so then we like back we we backed away from that and we thought we're going to pay homage our, ourselves right and so in some of our launches like we did a uh, or in some of our campaigns one time we did uh, a to pimp a butterfly campaign right which is an album by Kendrick Lamar but we took individual songs and we paired some of our crowns with the songs based on the inspiration of the crown and how the song made us feel and so that permeates almost every decision that we make and so if you think about dungeon ford and our and kind of like our three pillars of inspiration is music hip-hop being a major component of that art and then street culture those three things are what drives almost every decision that we make in terms of the content that we that we incorporate in our crown man it's it's so good to hear you say that um the music aspect of you because yeah. it's architecture it's yeah. it's fashion it's yeah. design it's yeah. and it's all a symbiotic relationship mm-hmm. um and again I, I remember you uh dropping bars back in high school yeah. do you have some right now i'm putting you on the spot <laughs> <laughs> we don't even got a beat but oh, i got you okay i got okay. you Kamikaze missions over the religious visions. They bombing all the eagles whose opinions isn't fitting. Switching up the logic so they can't still make the vision. Reminding me of when they trigger fingers itching. Terror is a story if they tell it, who gonna listen? When the sky is a threat to the melanated mistress. They want the history to tell a Fibonacci difference. Back laws of bullets, but when we do it, they go missing. They got blood on their hands. I'll leave it there. <laughs> mm, bars, let's I'll go. I'll leave it there. <laughs> Hey, it, one reason why I, was I didn't expect that, by the way. I know you didn't all. expect it. <laughs> I didn't expect that at all. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> hey, I, I think I was so comfortable asking you that because of the level of spontaneity that is required for creativity. Yeah. Dave, David Castro has that, right? Mm-hmm. And also, I'm always comfortable by. <laughs> I'm always comfortable It'd by. Be your friends, man. Be your friends. <laughs> be your own friend. Put you on the spot. Um, I'm always comfortable by the level of integrity that mm-hmm. that you carry yourself with, and oh, man, your music that. has that that deep substance. Um, and you you have the ability to be serious and thought provoking and funny at the same time. Yeah. Like you navigate uh, multiple energies, multiple multiple spaces. And so I think your music and how you convey your message through your music mm. um, is illuminated through Dungeon Forward. Oh um, yeah, and I, I wonder that's probably why these institutions are so fascinated by you and, and have decided to partner with you and it's not just college institutions it's yeah it's companies it's corporations mm-hmm. um you've secured a brand partnership um uh with uh, paramount yes um and then you signed a basically a licensing deal with nickelodeon and, and yeah. it features some of their most iconic uh animated comedy series spongebob squarepants yeah ren and stimpy Rugrats, all of them. I I remember. I used to hate the character Angelica from Rugrats. By the way, I just oh, want to put that out there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, t- tell me, tell me, how did that cal- collaboration started? You know what's wild is uh, I I <laughs> so I I wanted to work with Viacom um, prior to them being named uh, Paramount, and when I thought about the concept of doing that. I found out that there was an event in Vegas. It was a licensing fair where you could potentially get a meeting. I had I had an event on um, it was a Tuesday, and I had an event on a Thursday. And the and the event in Vegas was from Tuesday to Thursday. So I did my event on Tuesday. I got on a flight, went to Vegas um, that night, woke up the morning, went to the licensing fair, 
I was like, okay, I made it. I went to the Viacom desk and Viacom <laughs> was like, do you have an appointment? And I was like, no, uh, no. And they said, well, we don't have any appointments available. So I didn't really get a chance to talk to them. And so what I did was I navigated that space and I found this organization called uh, Perfetti. And Perfetti owns um, Airheads Candy. And we struck up a relationship with them. The, the lady who I spoke with, whose name I don't remember, but um, I, had a, I had a picture of Dwayne Wade wearing one of our crowns at the time. And I, it was like my back pocket, ace in the hole. It was like, look, we're famous, you know? <laughs> when clearly we weren't, like not even close. And, um, but she liked Dwayne Wade. And she was like, you know what, we're gonna call you. And they called me maybe like a week or so later. We landed that deal and we launched, we ended up, uh, that was right before the pandemic. And so it got delayed by the pandemic. We launched right after the pandemic. And it was one of our most profound video campaigns that we did. Um, initially at the onset of that, of that launch, that particular those particular crowns weren't really moving like crazy but the media of it was bringing a lot of attention to our brand which was dope and part of that attention somehow it landed on the desk of somebody at paramount and so paramount reached out i thought it was a joke <laughs> why'd I, you think it was a joke because it was a one sentence email from <laughs> my colleague shouts to becky uh she she actually was managing our account and then was off and now she's back managing our account but um, she reached out to me and it was maybe one, two line email. And she was like, hey, we're interested in exploring potential relationship. So I took it, even though I thought it was like, I wasn't certain because I just couldn't imagine like, man, I just tried to talk to you guys. And then serendipitous, like, how does this happen? But when I responded, I responded with depth. I responded with designs. I responded with a, a, a full deck of who we are as a brand what we represent, what we've done in the past, who we've partnered with in the past. And I spoke in every meeting that we had as though the relationship already existed. And so we, we landed the relationship. Um, we we initially, initially experimented with a launch with, with SpongeBob. Uh, it took us a little bit of time to really navigate the system because these are, these are major organizations and they have a significant amount of process. Right. Now <laughs> we know it, right? Now we know the process. We launched... Uh, four pieces in that SpongeBob collection. The next collection we're going to launch is going to be um, inspired by Garfield, uh, mm. which is we feel as though is is very like nostalgic, and we have the, the idea in which we we're, we're probably going to approach it as more of a, a vintage uh, focus. Right, and and, and let's yeah. let me stop you there about yeah, Garfield because I feel like there's a sense of nostalgia when you're yes. making these sort of connections. Yeah. Um, how much of it has to do with your own creativity as an artist uh, willing to sort of step outside the box um, mm -hmm. to to make these types of partnerships. What what does it say about David Castro? Uh, for me, it's the challenge. Right. So and it, and it, to, I look at partnering with Paramount in the same way that I look at partnering with some of the artists that we partner with, like Jubinski, Melissa Mitchell, Chuck Styles, like because it's an expansion of perspective and it gives you the the permission to break rules right and so while you somebody might become familiar with like maybe some of the design moves that i'll typically make or uh that that all goes out the window when it's a collaboration right that all that, that it shifts the trajectory of what you're capable to do and and how you're able to represent yourself and hopefully in that process elevate your 
capabilities. And so for me, I like to reach for the biggest challenges and run towards them and, and, and consistently find myself in uncomfortable positions that I then grow out of. That, that go-getter mentality, was that something you learned from your mom? Was that something that just sort of gradually grew within you as a man? Like, how, where, where, did that, where did that go-getter attitude come from? It comes from lack, from not having, uh, and, and not ever wanting not to have. Like, it's, it's uh, I, I don't know, I feel like it's beauty in being birthed in pov- into poverty, right? if you have the mentality of somebody that can get out of it. Because once you're the person that gets out of it and then exceeds beyond it, there's nothing that can stop you, right? There's nothing. Like that that term, like they thought uh, they buried us but didn't know we were seeds. Like I, the term, like get it out the mud. Like the, all of those things come from this innate, like grit and perseverance that's associated with our name, like from the dungeon forward. And so for me, it's always been that, like it's always been the idea of there's a way, like no matter what, there's a way, I'll figure this out. Right. And, um, and like reaching for these major partnerships and collaborations, whatever it might be, it, in the back of my mind, I was like, it's all, why not, why not me? Partnerships, collaborations, um, celebrity sightings. You casually mentioned Dwayne Wade earlier. I don't know if you thought I missed that. But I did not. Oh, we are in Miami right now. Yeah. How did you feel that Dwayne Wade was wearing your hat? Ah oh, man, I dang. You know, <laughs> I, I it's it, I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be humble, right? <laughs> I mean, it's Wade County, but it's it's dope. But I also feel like he was. It made him look dope. Like you're wearing it, so you you look more dope. Right. Um, but that particular instance, um, Dwayne had promised a signed basketball for a uh, it was a, it was a lady's child who had passed away. And um, and the way that I was able to give this to, to D-Way was there was a, a store in South Miami called the Edition Boutique. And it was a dude named Mike Labou who was carrying our brand. He was young. He was like maybe 19, 20 years old. And uh, his father, rest in peace, passed away. Um, but they gave me an opportunity in that store. And um, they had a relationship with Lening, which was, was the brand that w- that did D-Wade's shoes. And um, they, they had a grand opening for a second store after me being in the first store. And I went and visited that second store and they, they were like, hey, you wanna put something in the gift bags for D-Wade and, and Haslam? I was like, yeah, I definitely do. And, I, and then I also was like, finessed the way for me to hand them something while they were there. but. Um, but the one that was in the bag was the one he ended up wearing, and it ended up being a part of this campaign that was displayed at the game. So the first time I heard about it was people sending me pictures who were at the game of the Megatron with him wearing it as he was going in and hugging this child's mom. And I'm just like, yo, this is this is insane. That, for me, not the fact that he wore it, but the situation in which he wore it was like, that was amazing. And then it ended up being on major news stations and then also compilations just about his life and like how he's paid it for it throughout the duration of his career. And, and I'm paying attention to how you answer this question. It's not the fact that Dwayne Wade wore your hat. It's yeah. the storytelling. It's the storytelling surrounding the fact that he wore. That's hat. what made it big yeah. for me. Yeah. That's what made it big for me. Cause I, I, I do feel like we as a brand, like we we're deserving of our position, right? Like we are the best headwear creators period like 
this side of the universe. I believe that wholeheartedly. And so for some, if somebody's going to wear one, wear a crown in the first place, it should be ours. Like, we, ha- we, we have your crown right now. Yeah, we do. We got um, a couple of them. And, and how it's constructed, it looks so complex just in terms of the fabric. Yeah. I, I like, what's the creative process and how long does it take to create one hat that has so many, you know, complex... Yeah. Uh, yeah. How do, you, it, how do you make one? So it depends, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like, we have a proprietary design that's called the Sunika Quran, which means sneaker crown in Japanese. I have to give my team a shout out and uh, and for for one major reason, which is we got an email yesterday that we are approved for patent for this, right? The reason that's a major deal is because in headwear, there has been no major innovation in headwear for over 100 years. There's been patents that have been issued, but no real major innovation in headwear for the silhouette, for the paneling, for the for how it how it adjusts. And we have a double strap enclosure on this crown, which really means that you can adjust the crown on two axes, right? Normally, it's just perpendicular to your head. This one. And the crown is the top of the hat, right? The crown is the entire hat. Is the entire hat. When I say crown, I'm talking about the entire hat. Okay. Right? But in in this instance, the the double strap enclosure allows you to adjust the hat on two different axes, just giving you an additional level of comfortability, right? And... This particular crown, it took two years to design. It took a full year to go through the sampling process. And it took 18 months to get approved for a patent, right? That's that's this one, right? That's because of the complexity layering of it. And, and describe what it looks like for folks who are driving right now listening okay. to describe Dungeon Folk. Yeah, so if you were, to, if you were to compare it to, um, to anything that's on the market, the, the general overall silhouette is that like a camp hat or a five panel, but this hat is actually compo- comprised of over 40 different components. Um, on the front, it's split panels. Uh, it's made with leather, uh, uh, cotton twill, mesh, uh, silk insides, under brim that's like a canvas polyester, metal uh, uh, grommets, and then uh, nylon, two, two nylon strap enclosures. One of them is on, a, on what we call silicone wings, and, uh, or you can also call it the cage. Uh, but that, I probably said that, and you probably like, what, what kind of like mechanism is he creating? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but if you see it, you'll see it in all its complexity, but all of its complexity is made to look so simple, and that's what the, that's that's what I really love about it. But then adjacent to that, like sitting on a desk right now, we actually have another crown that's part of our Words to Live By collection that simply says abundance on it, and it's more like a typical uh, trucker, but with premium materials. And so we have a range of of products that we offer. Right, um, and, and and where does Dungeon Forward sees itself going from now, and where can people? get dungeon forward um obviously yeah. you, again you see Dwayne way of, of all people are, are wearing it um, yeah. but where can people find it so you can find us at uh on our website primarily uh, for those that are listening in www.dungeonforward.com and that's spelled regular um you can find us in some retailers uh we're also on belt.com we're on flourish.com f-l-o-u-r-y-s-h.com we're on the shade room shop we're on um black on everything dot com and uh we're also in a few retailers ubiquitous in atlanta uh three j's in boston uh dr j's in uh new york uh and 
there's a museum in Texas. I feel so bad. You're everywhere. Put yeah, it that way. We're, I mean, we're in a, we're in a, a, a few different places. We, we don't have mass distribution yet. Oh yeah, that's right. And that's um, right. and so I think you mentioned next steps, and I and there's been some retailers that reached out to us recently, and um and, and we're looking at trying to trying to figure out what that looks like. The right? Modern Museum of Art in Austin, right? Ha! Look at you, researcher, <laughs> producers. <Yeah. laughs> Appreciate that. Helen yeah. Acevedo. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yes, yes, yes. We're there too. Um, there is a lot of youthful energy um, that you exude uh-huh. um, when it comes to creativity. Oh yeah. And and I think that's also been sort of expounded by the fact that you're a father. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. How do you balance entrepreneurship and fatherhood? Man. It, so there is no balance, right? There's sacrifice on both ends. Um and it's and it's really about what sacrifices are you making or are you willing to make sometimes the sacrifice might be i'm not going to be that efficient at work today because my daughter is going to be in my office sometimes that sacrifice might be i can't go on this trip to network with these folks because it's it's something important that i need to do with my daughter uh she comes first though i don't i i let dungeon four die um if if it if it needed to um to 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 handle things with her she's she's priority anybody who knows me knows that um and and i think because of that i know that she recognizes that i know she understands that and and that affords me the ability to continue to to push and grind in the way that i do um because my spare time is spent with her yeah Mm -hmm. and you you have a like a a solid ecosystem around you a a solid support system Mm -hmm. um you came here with two people can you give them a quick shout out so i so i can recognize who they are in fact one of them is the one who 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 told me about uh, (laughs) the modern museum of art in austin yeah so zuli is our uh marketing and sales director um if you want to follow her it's high art i heart zuli and uh and king hoodie is a, a, a rapper extraordinaire. He's also an actor. He was on Bad Boys. Uh, and um, he just launched a project in a, in a, uh, a single called Glass. Uh, and you can follow him at King Hoodie Raps. And they, they both support the brand in different ways. Hoodie has an influencer, model, homie. And, uh, and Zoo, is, she's on our team full time. I've noticed the people you surround yourself mm-hmm. with, and they all have sort of the same similar high spirited attitude about life yeah um and and these are folks who are again at least try to be well balanced in how they present themselves um with their art with, with their creativity um how do you select the right type of people around you you know what i i failed at that before <laughs> um and i think you learn right and, and you, you try to fail fast in those types of decisions and really discover what it is but now i've landed in a space where i, I it's a hybrid of culture um ambition and capability right like the ambition is probably one of the culture and the ambition are probably the two most important things um because somebody somebody who, who is ambitious that might not have a tactical skill set is is typically really ready to be taught and can learn autonomously like I've seen my team members like excel in crazy ways. Zuli, for instance, right? Like she she went from coming in not really necessarily knowing how to use Adobe Illustrator, Adobe Photoshop, 
in design to being a, like a maverick in all of them. Yeah, right? everyone then, pretty much started excelling. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> well, 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 David Castro is the founder of Dungeon Forward, a hat brand steeped in the arts and community. Mm. David, thank you so much for joining us, man. Listen, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. And that's Sundial for Wednesday, August 2nd. Leslie Ovaya Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Helen Acevedo helped produce the show. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Merritt is WLRN's vice president of radio. Engineering our board operations today is Richard Ives. Our theme music by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band, Paolo, at gopaolo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Search WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the program, a Grammy-nominated music producer makes her debut as a filmmaker in her hometown. Dee Smith is the director of Cocomo City. I'm Wilkin Brutus, and remember, stay hydrated. <laughs>